Two guys. Two topics. Two, two, two. two opinions. You talk. Give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It is. And The Zone Sports Network. Split story of the day brought to you by our good friends at Sound Sleep Medical. Talking about college football. Uh, how do you want to label this, uh, Gordon? Because conference expansion isn't necessarily the most accurate term. It's kind of the future of college football. And realignment. Let's go with realignment. Right. And uh, Stuart Mandel wrote a piece for The Athletic. And let's let's start, Gordon, at uh, kind of the, the crux of the, of the piece, you know, where he started. And we can expand into some of the scenarios. But is, an, is a realignment coming? And how dramatic will it be? And what will drive it this time? And how different will that be from the last time? He seemed to be suggesting that it's almost like uh, seismologists that predict earthquakes. They happen every so often. And he was predicting that these things, that one version of these things uh, could be upcoming. One of the most fa- uh, interesting points I thought that he made, and, and I'll admit I w- I've been guilty of this in the past, thinking that the television bubble is going to burst. And he dispelled that myth a little bit. And, and his reasoning, I thought, was was pretty insightful he we talked about how all these streaming services are coming along Mm. and how they're going to replace the traditional television partner and that might not not actually be the case as sports is still driving broadcast television sports is the most important entity on tv it's the most lucrative entity on tv and now with like disney branching out and creating its own streaming service that actually the netflix drive the price amazon you're just driving the price up and yeah. it's actually going to uh, create a bigger big time big bidding how many b words can i use <laughs> uh bidding environment and that uh, the revenues could actually soar uh, uh, higher and higher, and that is where the incentive for realignment comes from. How do you align yourself so you can optimize your value in this new environment where it's actually going to be generating more cash? I, how did he phrase it? It was something along the lines of, if Disney is getting involved, they're not doing it for fun. Right. And they don't really do anything halfway. That, mm-hmm. uh, that mouse, he usually goes all in. So... <laughs> I would expect probably the same. And that means that ESPN, you know, is is not going to become less of a player in this game, despite the fact that they're losing subscribers. Yeah, they say, he said they were down 15%. Yep. Which isn't a surprise. I mean, the younger generation is just not going to, uh, or is going to consume their media in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's, uh, it's trending. And it's actually going to create... Um, more competition for this product, which is still extremely valuable. Man, I'll tell you, our listeners who remember CBS, ABC, and NBC, and that about being it, it's it's shocking. Uh, even though we could, uh, many people could see this coming over a period of time, but uh, there was a time when those were your three choices, and that was about it. Now you got a whole bunch. And sports, really, the value has escalated because it is the only thing that you have to watch live on TV anymore. It, it really is. It's the only thing that you have to consume while it's happening. And because people are passionate about it, or many people are, uh, it draws their eyeballs. Yep. So it's not like something we say, oh, well, I'll see it sooner or later, you know, or I'll catch it. I'll catch it on the reruns, or I'll catch it. No, man, you don't. Want, some people might record it and and watch it uh, a little bit later, but uh, you don't want to wait too long because you want to know what what everybody mm-hmm. else saw. 
Yep. And one one interesting point I thought that he made cumulatively, college football made about two billion dollars from television revenue. The NBA, by comparison, made two point eight billion dollars. And the if you believe the metrics and those sorts of things, college football is a far more popular sport than the NBA. So it's saying essentially that it's underperforming. It's underperforming with its current model, yeah. and that that is is something that I hadn't really considered because you think um, these conferences are never going to go away, go away, but in truth, they're they by not working in tandem, they're really diminishing their their value of their product because they're selling it off kind of piecemeal. And that's one of the scenarios Stewart gets into. What if the most valuable schools just got together and decided to form their own Premier League or whatever you wanted yeah, to call it? Yeah, in a, in a real reversal of thinking, he suggested that some of these really valuable singular programs could break off and become independents. And I thought, well, there's a new one. Everybody looks at Notre Dame, and no, even Notre Dame has tied itself to some degree to the ACC and BYU and Army, and now he's suggesting that maybe a program like USC could say, I've had enough of this BS. We're a lot more valuable than Washington State or Oregon State, so we're not going to haul them around with us. We're going to just go make our money. However, we this is one of the scenarios. The other one is what you said, that the elite programs could band together and then negotiate deals that would drive that price up. And his scenario did not have the Utes involved. Nope. Had like I think there were twenty or twenty-eight teams in that one scenario, and it was all the, the sort of the blue blood programs out there. And I thought to myself, if that were to happen, would that drive interest up or would it drive it down? Because now you're looking at college football almost the way you would look at the NFL. And yeah, the NFL is really profitable, but if you're leaving out all these programs whose fans want to dream that maybe their team could climb up and be one of the elite in any given year, well, they're kind of being shut out from the whole thing. They're not even they're not even allowed to compete essentially. See, that's and and Stewart in his piece he laid out five different scenarios. One from going from most likely to least likely, and what you're talking about right now was the least likely yeah. of the scenarios well, basically I hope so. basically because they're still universities and they're still run by academics and they still have all these peripheral values that aren't necessarily the bottom dollar of maximizing every single penny so i and plus there's some some interest or some really uh, prominent laws that would also have to be skirted <laughs> in order to make this work. And what you're talking about being like the NFL, they basically have to give up amateurism if they stopped operating under the NCAA umbrella, which in this scenario they'd have to stop doing. And so then you're you're going into uncharted territory. What laws and those sorts of things actually apply and how does it work? Because these universities aren't professional sports organizations. Right. And, and that hurdle still exists. And, and Jake, you and I have gone back and forth about on players being compensated and whatnot. As I read that piece, it was the first time that I didn't, I didn't, that I, I was really slamming on the brakes because I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see, I would want to see 28 universities shut everybody else out and, 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 and share the profits, the filthy lucre among themselves. 
and leave out the others. I mean, that, that even though that's really what college football is to some extent now, because didn't you point out that like 10 teams have been dominating the playoffs? Yeah, it, it's like 10 I can't remember. Ten, the exact. What was it? Twenty teams, or what was it? Out of the twenty, 20 slots, spots, ten teams ten have teams. taken up. Yeah, and so that shuts out a lot of programs already. But people still have the hope. For instance, this year, Utah fans are pretty psyched about how good the Utes might be. Is it a pipe dream that they would end up in the playoff? Yeah, I suppose it is. But there's still that hope that it just might happen. Yeah. Just might. And under these other that one scenario, then it wouldn't matter because the Utes would not be included in that group. Gordon, you did a column and included some interviews that we did last week with a couple of new jazz players. Yeah, and uh, they talked about how they want to win, man. They are veterans who came in in part because Mike Conley said, hey, this is a great group here, terrific place to play with a terrific coach. Come on over here and let's uh, do some damage. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that seems to be what they're indicating. And it's impressive to me because the Jazz now have gone through a transition. Remember when they were, weren't were skipping any steps and they yep. were young and they were building through the draft? Well, not anymore. Now they have, they have their foundation with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and they are adding pieces to that with veteran players who can lead out and who who have their priorities in order and who can help one another. And I thought that was one of the interesting things that I picked up on was uh, Jeff Green saying, hey, man, we're here to help our brothers out. That's what that's what we're here to do. And so that's that's kind of cool. It's kind of what the Jazz have trumpeted through the years and and now it's here and now it's serious and now they're in a position where they might really be able to to pull something important off and they're only going to do it together they have terrific talent in place they have talent in they have guys with certain talents that should fit together if the attitude is right and that's what these veterans are preaching Jeff Green is going to be really important to this team, Gordon. I was reading some um, off-season reviews uh, from the Ringer, I believe, that were reviewing every NBA team's off-season. They talked about Bojan Bogdanovic, right? And they talked about him playing the four. And it worked a lot in the regular season for the Indiana Pacers, particularly after Victor Oladipo went down. When it did not work, however, was in the playoffs, where things get uh, a little bit slower, things get a little bit uh, tougher, uh, more less few excuse me fewer fouls are called, more is let go, and it was exposed a little bit in that particular position. And I think that Jeff Green is going to have to be the guy that will step in in those types of situations because he's bigger than Bogdanovich is, and there's not really anybody else. Maybe Royce O'Neal who could play the four when they necessarily can't go small. Does that make a whole lot of sense? And and if they get to the playoffs, who's going to go up against some of those bigger, more physical guys? But think about what the Jazz have relative to what the Pacers had. They have more weapons now. But I'm I'm talking— So Bogdanovich is not going to be counted on to carry the absolute load that he had to do with the Pacers. And so I don't know how—I'm not sure how that's going to come into play. But I will say this, that if— Whatever doesn't work, the Jazz have options to do something different. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying, why Jeff Green, I think, is going to be really important, because he needs to be the, that option 
that can go in and be a little bit more physical on defense. And I, I'm not talking about scoring, per se. I'm talking about when the other team goes bigger, stronger, more physical, how do the Jazz match that? And it was pretty easy last year because Derek Favors was pretty big and pretty physical himself. But with Bogdanovich, that's not necessarily what he's all about. So you have to have somebody that can, I think, go that direction. I think he's really important because I think he's going to supplement um, all sorts of positions for the Jazz, but specifically that one. Yeah, it could happen that way. Do you see a scenario, any scenario, under which Rudy Gobert and Ed Davis are on the floor together? No, probably not because it's just so limited offensively. Again, why I think Jeff Green is so important because I don't think I don't think that that is much of an option. But if you've got Mike Conley and you've got Joe Ingles and you've got uh, uh, you've got uh, uh, Bogdanovich, yeah. And if the Jazz played any sort of post game back to the basket game, I might say that that might work. But that's not what they do. Donovan Mitchell, I, I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it would be rare. I mean, they're running pick and roll and they're doing a ball movement type offense. They're not. I mean, if you could just put one on the left side post and one on the right side post and go to work and maybe rotate over to whoever's not getting double teamed like we used to see in the 90s all the time, I think that that would work. But that's not what the, that's not what the Jazz do anymore. That's why the Favors-Rudy thing was so tough offensively because it didn't right. – that's, that's, not, that's not the style of offense that they ran. You know, the, 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 this is a really interesting sort of uh, juxtaposition here. Because last year, the Jazz, what were they known for, Jake? They were known for two things that come to mind for me. What what would you? What are your two things? Well, the pick and roll, certainly offensively. Okay, I'm just talking about overall. Now I'm confused to what you're looking for. Defense okay. and, and playing together as okay. a team. All right. Uh, now they have this infusion of offensive talent, so they are no longer – uh, empty in that regard, but how well can they meld together? And that, that's the question now. Well, for me, with the Jazz, they have the talent. They have significant talent to score points. I don't think the defense has been compromised to the point where they're going to be anybody's idea of a sieve. And so now, how do they come together, off, especially offensively, but defensively to, as well, because you, Quinn says it over and over again, connectivity. Is the team connected? Well, will this new infusion of talent get connected quickly and in a manner that will withstand the pressure that comes with a playoff situation? I'm not just talking about mental pressure. I'm talking about physical pressure, too. I thought it was and a good column. So that's the question to me. Will they do that? That was a good column, even though you had to miss a play to uh, to write it. I thought it was thought it was good. Oh man, family members performing too. Even worse. I mean, it. You're lucky that was a really terrific column because you that came at such personal sacrifice. Well, you do what you can. Oh, stay tuned. The great Stuart Mandel of The Athletic joins us coming up next. <laughs> it's a big show. Come here. Time for a noogie for you. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.